But I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bible as we look at the considered the scripture for today. It's going to be Nehemiah chapter 4. And to kind of give you some context, I'm going to read a few extra verses. And if you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament, the older, uh, I mean, there's the New Testament, Old Testament to the Old Testament. And we like to use the New Living Translation because it's easier to read and understand. Whatever translation you have with you is fine. But we read it from there. And I want to begin uh, at verse 6 just to give you some context of what we're going to preach today. It won't take too long to read. But why don't you follow along with me on the screen? Verse Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Amorites, the Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They, made, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. But then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Isn't it interesting how just a threat from the enemy can cause confusion and cause doubt? Verse 14, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they knew what was happening, we will swoop down on them, kill them, and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So we placed armed guards between the lowest parts of the wall and the exposed areas. I stationed the people to guard by their guarded by their fam, by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side and the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever, uh, rush to wherever is sounding, then our God will fight for us. So we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. And, uh, and I also told everyone living outside of the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, when their servants could help with the guard duty at night, and work during the day, and work during the day. Last verse. During this time, 
None of us. Somebody say none of us. Not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons at all times. Somebody say at all times. Even when we went for water. I want to preach a message this morning called Fight For It. Fight For It. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time to bless you, the time to worship, because we are grateful because we know that you are fighting for us. We know that you are for us and not against us. Today, as we learn from the scripture today, I pray that you will, it would impact us deeply in our hearts and minds, that we would do something different, and we would not be afraid of our enemies, but we would move forward encouraged and strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Just give somebody a high five on the way down. Just tell them thank you for coming to church. I appreciate that you came today. Make them feel welcome. I'm finishing up a series, and it's kind of been uh, a series that I just wanted some time to kind of share my heart with you, to talk to you a little bit about what we are doing as a church, as we are relaunching this church and transitioning to a different season in the history of this church. This church has been here for over 35 years in this community, and I was sharing with a brother earlier that this was the first building this side of Lewis in Oregon. And God put us here to be a light to this community. Not the only light, but to be a light in this community, to bless our community, to serve our community. And as any church goes through cycles, they go through a cycle of being outwardly focused and focused on evangelism, basically sharing the gospel to people who've never heard it before. And then, then they start to get organized and structured and institutionalized. And over time, a church can become an institution. Have you ever witnessed that before? It becomes a well-oiled machine. It just becomes something that just marches, marches along. And we're not like any other church that we did not experience that. Over time, we, we became very self-centered. We became focused on ourselves. And while we were doing that, um, the community was changing around us. And we realized that our mission was to serve our community, to bless them, to be a light in this community. And we can't not, can't, could not do that focusing on ourselves. We could not do that simply coming in, having church, and leaving. We didn't want this machine gun approach to evangelism where we just shout out flyers and shout out information, but never really engaged and never really knew our neighbor's names, or nor did their, our neighbors knew our name. It's already a challenge on the day that we worship that some people who are not familiar with worship on Sabbath would drive by and wonder, why is the church closed on Sunday? Didn't make sense to them. I remember hearing kids tell us that we thought the church was abandoned. And so I'm very proud of this church because we embrace that reality. And we realized that we were making a lot of assumptions about our community, and we decided to find out the truth. And so what we, where we are is literally years in the making of trial and error, of prayer and fasting, of seeking God to find out, God, you're not done. We're not done if you're not done. And when we come into this beautiful sanctuary that those before us have labored and sacrificed and given to, we know that when they put the seating capacity in here for 300 people, and though they were probably 20% of that or even maybe a third of that, 
at the time when they built it. They built it with vision in mind. They didn't build it for ego. They didn't build it to say, oh, we got a big church. They built it for vision that one day, one day, this church would be full and coming like almost like just a constant overflow of people who are coming. Not to just experience a weekend service, not to just come in here preaching and music, but that there is something here for them seven days a week that will pour into their hearts and bless them. And so we embrace that vision. We take that seriously. And so this whole summer, we are preparing to relaunch this church. This church will no longer be the Pasco Ephesus Church, Seventh-day Adventist Church. We will call, we will be new movement. Does not, oh yes, yes, praise God for that. We'll be new movement. For those who are familiar with uh, the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they would know that this church did not start as a church. It started as a movement. And this is the new movement. This is the movement that we take the gospel to our neighbors and we have an urgency in our spirit, in our heart, and we do it in a fresh way. And we do it in the way that Jesus has called us to. And so as we make this transition on September 22nd, we are now building the foundation. We are building the groundwork. We are building the systems. We are building the teams. We are putting things in place. And this whole month, what I've really been doing is kind of sharing in this series, Overcomer, just from my heart, just why we are doing this. What is the purpose of this? What's the point of why we are relaunching? Why not just keep things the way they are? Why not just be happy with what you have? I've even heard someone tell me, Pastor, why don't you just move on? We'll just go to another church. There's another opportunity. But when you're called to something and you know that Jesus has set you somewhere, nobody and nothing can derail you from what you're doing. In fact, the more criticism you hear, the more feedback you hear that's negative, usually you're going in the right direction. Because anything great you want to do in your life or anything great you do for God, you are going to face resistance. We have a bunch of students in here that to come with us for the summer. I know we normally have them come up and give a, a great story. But as a church, why don't we just welcome our Youth Rest guests who are with us. We love you so much. What they do... Amen. We love you guys so much. They do a great work, and what they do is they go door to door, and they not only do they sell books uh, that are that are that are written about Jesus and and different topics and different things that help their life. They engage with the community firsthand. They get doors shut on them. They got to run from dogs. It's hot, right? They have, it's a struggle, but they are out in the community, and we love to have them here. Because every single summer, it reminds us of not only the generation that we need involved, but also the approach that we need. That we need a little bit of everything. We need some people to go out, and we need some people to prepare a place for when they come home. And so as we've been talking about overcoming, we know that this work and this launch will not happen until we have personal revival in our heart. That's where the church should say amen, but you don't have to. You'll have more chances as the sermon goes along. Revival starts with you. It starts with me. And what I love about it is God doesn't need a whole bunch of people. He never needs a lot of people to get something started. He never needs a lot of people to change the world. He just needs people who are willing to do it in their own armor, in their own skin, and whatever God has called them to do, to work in the gifts that God has called them to use, and that's what we're doing. I love this passage in this book 
Because Nehemiah was launching something new. He was actually launching a new movement. For those who are not familiar with the story, I'll just give us all a recap. And, may, and trust me, I don't say that in any judgmental way. Because I just assume from the beginning that a lot of you don't know the story. And that's good. Because we get to tell you in a fresh way. And so Nehemiah was working, let's say, for the White House. And his, na- his native country, his home country, uh, 70 years before that, had been defeated, had been destroyed. And he was from that country. And he had been relocated to this country. And now what God had promised us was this seven years that his people would be in exile. He had promised that when that was over, he was going to rebuild their nation. And Nehemiah was from that nation, but he had a great job in the nation that had overcome them. And he had heard that the people were struggling to get things going. As we've been walking through this series we learned that he has a sensitivity towards his people. And every through every course of obstacle that he faces, he prays. He reaches out to God. He says, God, what should I do? And as he has asked the king of his day, what should he do? He returns back home. And last week we talked about he begins to survey the place. He begins to look and see what the problems are. And as he assesses that, he finds out what they should do. And he knows immediately what needs to be done is the wall needs to be rebuilt. In those days, a city had a wall around it, and it meant security. It meant that people could not just enter the city anytime they came in. And so when a nation would defeat a city, the first thing they would do is they would destroy the walls. Maybe you remember as a kid or a Bible story about Joshua and the, the Jericho and how the walls were defeated. And once the walls were brought down, the people could come in and destroy them. Once the walls were not set up, they were vulnerable. They were exposed, and people could come in and attack them. When walls aren't established, then sometimes there's a vulnerability there. Maybe you don't realize I'm preaching to you that when you don't have any boundaries, we don't have any limits, we don't have any walls, we don't have a wall to a line to draw. Say, I'm not going any further than this. You are exposed. You are vulnerable. You are dangerous. You are in trouble when there's no boundaries and there's no fence set up. Sometimes our walls have been destroyed by abuse, by neglect, by something that happened to us, by sin in our life, by addiction. Whatever it is, can I just tell you that there's a God who's a great wall builder. There's a God who's a mason who knows how to come into your city and establish boundaries for you. I love the fact that Jesus comes into your life and says, no, you can't enter on this side. No, you cannot clear this way because I've established my kingdom inside of you. And what happens is when Jesus is in your life, what you actually do is reverse the process. As the Bible says that the gates of hell will not come against the kingdom of God. And so when the kingdom is inside of you, what happens is you build up your kingdom in God and then God sends you out to tear down the enemy's kingdom. And that's what a new movement is about is we're not standing here vulnerable and waiting and afraid, but we have set up a standard like a flood that says no more. We will not let any enemy come into this house, into this life, into this family, into this community. We have reset the boundaries and said this community belongs to God and as long as we are here addiction has no place early teenage pregnancy has no place drugs have no place in this community because we have set up a standard in a wall and so Nehemiah said I got to get the walls built up 
And so as we look into what happens in this point of the story, he has set up a, a, a great system where they are working on the wall. What you got to know is there's not a lot of people. There's a huge task, but there's not a lot of people. There's a lot of work to get done, but they don't have enough people to do the work. But what I love about Nehemiah is he doesn't have the resources right away. He doesn't have the people right away. He doesn't have everything. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have anything. But he says, we're going to get started. In other words, we're going to fight for this. We're not going to wait for somebody to bail us out. We're not going to wait for all the resources to come up. We're not going to wait to get a poll and get people to agree. He says, I've decided to do what is purposed in my heart. And as a leader, I'm going to build a coalition of people and make them understand that you're not just fighting for yourself, but you're fighting for your family, you're fighting for your homes, your sons and daughters. It's important for you to look at legacy and understand that this is not just about your generation. This is not just about what happens for you. It's not just about your personal salvation. It's about the salvation and the legacy and purpose of everyone around you. And so he says, I don't need a lot of people. I just need to get started. And so what's interesting, and most of you have experienced this, is that people never have a problem when you're doing bad. Anybody testify to that? As long as you messed up, jacked up, as long as you live in that neighborhood, as long as you live in that house, as long as things are going okay for you, nobody's got a problem. Let you decide you want to better yourself. You decide you want to go back in the gym. You decide you want to go back to school. Some of you are nodding your heads. You decide you want to level up and get a better house, a better car, something better for you. Let's decide, you decide, excuse me, you want to go back to church. You want to start living for God. Then all of a sudden, you got a whole bunch of problems. And the surrounding people around the nation who had gotten used to taking advantage of their land, taking advantage of their orchards, taking advantage of the rich, fertile harvest that would happen every year. They set up a socioeconomic system to oppress them and rob them of their socioeconomic freedom by getting them in debt and and threatening them so that anytime they would want to come and harvest, they would show up and threaten them and take their land and take their money and take their stuff. So they're poor, they're destitute, and they find out that they're going to try to do better for themselves, and now they got a problem. And so as Nehemiah is working through this problem, he has to keep in the back of his mind and in front of the people that you guys, look, we need to decide that we're going to fight for this. God promised to give it to us, but we got to fight for it. He's not going to just let us walk into it because we fought him to lose it. Okay, let me say it this way. Um, the very reason we don't have it is because we rebelled against him. And it's not God trying to get us back or hold a grudge. He's just saying, look, you're going to have to learn how to fight and protect what I give you. You're going to put some skin in this game. 
you're going to have to put some sweat and some blood in the process. And over and over in the story, as they go, God gets a victory. But sometimes it's really hard at the cusp, at the beginning, because there's a fear that you have to fight. I'm not talking to anybody this morning that knows that God is calling you to something. He's called you somewhere, but you know you're going to have to fight for it. It's not going to come easy. I can remember my first fight. It wasn't really a fight, but it was kind of like a fight. It was my first fight because I got hit, and I'm going to tell you what happened. But I didn't get a chance to hit back, and I'm going to tell you why. So I think I'm like seven years old. I'm outside playing, and I'm in this big apartment complex, and I used to play. There was a couple kids my age, not many. We used to kind of play around. There was this girl that I knew, and I used to play with her outside. And she had some older brothers, and they were kind of kind of some jerks. You know, they were always causing trouble. And, you know, I, I was just like, well, I, I was a little uncomfortable because I was living at the time kind of in the suburbs with my uncle. He had, you know, he had a nice house, and we lived with him and, and then, from time to time. And then we moved uh, to an apartment that wasn't too far away, but it was still kind of in the suburbs. And I was kind of from the inner city, you know, and I was kind of familiar with the different contexts and different types of things. And so this girl, one day, she just started kind of acting funny. She's like, come over here and play by me. Come over here. And I had, you know, clear boundaries of where I could play. And it was in those boundaries. But I had a skateboard. And so I didn't, which, which I don't know why my mom bought me a skateboard. Let me just tell you something. I used to love skateboards when I was a kid. One of my kids asked me for a skateboard. I almost had a heart attack. All I was thinking was head trauma, concussions. I don't know why she bought me a skateboard. Anyway, I love you, mom. I'm okay. So I'm on a skateboard. And she's like, hey, come here. I'm like, okay. So I'm skating on my skateboard, doing my thing, right? And then out of the bushes, one of her older brothers come out the bush and sneak me, clock me right in the stomach. So they set me up. So I'm skating. She's like, come here. I'm like, oh, okay, what's up? Here they come out the bushes. Bam! Hit me right in the stomach. I'm I fall over. Now, it just so happened that my mama saw the whole thing. I don't know what she was doing, but she was standing on the balcony, and she saw the whole thing. Now, before I could look up, she said, hey, leave him alone. Now, when you're seven and you're a boy, you kind of want to hear that, but you don't really kind of want to hear that, right? Like, you kind of don't want to hear that, but you kind of do are glad that she saw it. She's like, hey, leave them, here, leave them alone. Now, I kid you not. I was in pain, right? I was in pain. I was hurting. These boys had the nerve to put a sentence together with two bad words. One of them started with F. One of them started with B. You fill out the word, out the rest of the sentence, Shouted up to my mom from the balcony. Now, somebody said, ooh. Now, I said the same thing because they didn't know my mama. That's a black woman. You know what I'm saying? So I said, okay, oh. I, so the pain that I felt just went away. 
And I began to intercede on behalf of those who had come against me. Now, this is the 80s, so you can get away with a lot of stuff in the 80s. You wouldn't get away with this now. So I heard them say that. I was like, what? Like, my eyes just, I had never heard any disrespect. to. I wouldn't even thought about it, right? It didn't even register. And I said, oh, Lord. I picked up my skateboard (laughs) and started walking towards the elevator. Now, these boys must have been filled with a demonic spirit, right? Because they started following me. Now, I was trying to give them hints. I was trying to let them know, you might not want to follow me right now. But I was just trying to hold myself together. So I kept walking. I'm trying to get upstairs as fast as I can. I kid you not, I get to the elevator. (laughs) I hit the elevator button, and there is my mom with the broom. She's... It goes like, ding, and she's just standing right here. I told you this in the 80s, right? Please don't press charges. She said, excuse me, son. That's all she said to me. I, I walked into the elevator, shut the elevator, and did not turn around. All I heard was screaming, yelling, and I heard my, my mom tore all of them up with that broom. Because I know my mom. She's short, so she's just got a range, all right? She's not being strategic about it. She's not trying to hit you on the butt. No, this is whatever, whatever is here or below, that's getting hit. So you better learn how to duck and dodge, okay? I was doing football tryouts when I was getting a whooping. I was, you know, I was doing all that kind of stuff when I had to get her. <laughs> she tore him up. I, I never, I never heard from them boys again. I don't know if they moved I don't know what happened. All I know is she came upstairs and half the bristles were off that broom. I'm, I'm not even kidding. That broom was like half like this size. She was sweating and she caught them all. I don't know what end she caught them with, but she caught them. I wish my mama could come save me for every situation. I wish I could call my mama or call. So I got a couple people in this church. If I really get in some trouble, I'll call them. I don't want to get them locked up, but I'll say I got. I'll call an attorney and I'll call them just in case. A little backup, a little yin and yang. I wish my mom could come rescue the day. I wish she could always come, but sometimes Mama can't show up. Can I just tell you that sometimes whoever you're expecting to come is not going to show up because God is trying to raise the warrior within you. God is trying to raise up someone to fight in you. And this is what I love about Jesus, just so you know, that Jesus is not scared of bad situations. Can I just give you the big picture here? So we understand that Jesus is our Savior, and he saved us in the flesh. Y'all believe that, right? He saved us in the flesh by becoming human. I don't know how it's happened. It's too deep for me to explain. I just believe what the Bible says about it. But what I want you to understand is he came in what the theological word would be in an incarnational way. He entered into human flesh. Now, while he was in human flesh, in order for salvation to be accomplished, he couldn't sin. Now, I don't know about you, but sin is always available. Now, he did really good. Now, let me tell you, this this is why I'm glad I'm not Jesus and I'm glad I'm not in the Bible. Because there's a couple situations, especially at the end, 
where I would have lost it. I'm sorry, it would have all been lost. All right, it would have been all been lost. But Jesus, in his humanity, was not afraid to come in and solve a very difficult problem of our salvation, navigate through it, resist temptation, even when he's being tempted, even when he's being abused and crucified. Not even one thought of revenge came to his mind. Not even one thought of trying to get even or putting himself first came in his mind on the cross. I want you to understand, that's very difficult, that while he's being crucified, his mind is still on the lost. Uh huh, And he's still responding to the cries of people and his pain and his sense of abandonment from his father in those crucial moments. He does not give up and he resisted. Here's the thing. Jesus is not afraid. Imagine what it felt like for him, as the Bible will explain to us, of becoming sin. If you've never, ever personally sinned in your life, never tasted, never known what it was like. In one moment, be filled with the entire sins of all humanity. Just imagine if you felt all of your sins in one moment. Just pick a week out of the year. Imagine that. Holding, literally becoming the sacrificial lamb for him and to be separated from his father. And to absorb the entire sins of humanity in his flesh, in his being, in his body, and yet not sin. If he can do that, if he can solve that issue, what about your issue? If Jesus can endure that, what about your problem? What about your addiction? What about your family dysfunction? What about your unbelief? What about your problems? What I'm trying to tell you is the God we serve is able and he's willing to come into any situation, any problem, any situation to come and bring salvation. We do have someone who's on our side. What God wants to teach us to do is to fight for it. Here's the problem. Sometimes we are more concerned about what might happen than what will happen. Well, what if they do this? Well, what if this happens? Well, what if? We focus so much on what could happen that we don't focus on what will happen if we fight for it. Somebody's been in a relationship. Were you concerned if they really love you? You're concerned if they're going to be there for you? You're concerned if they're going to cheat on you? They're going to leave you? And sometimes we can get drawn into this temptation of what if? What if they leave me? What if I don't get into school? What if this doesn't happen? Sometimes that can be so paralyzing and bring so much fear that you are literally living in a, in a state of fear where you don't move and don't do anything. When you decide and declare, no, this will be a godly relationship. No, we will be financially strong. No, my kids will love and serve the Lord. No, I am going to pack this belly in and get over to Planet Fitness 
and work out at least some of this, okay? Yes, I will take care of my situation. And when you decide by God's grace to say, I'm not going to worry about what might happen. I'm going to focus on what will happen if I fight for it. Can I just tell you the shift that I made? Sometimes I see it discouraged when, you know, when you plan something and you pray and you, you do all this stuff and you, and you invite people and, and you pray for people and you show up and what you're expecting doesn't happen. So you do that all the time. I used to always live in, you know what, if we did this, we might grow. If this happened, we might grow. Then it went to, man, what if I did this and that's what happened? Or what if we're making the wrong decision here and we're not growing? What's the problem? And being so focused on the problem and trying to find out what we could do and what was going wrong. That at some point we just decide, you know what? We got to fight for this. If you don't invite, I'm going to invite. If you don't come, I'm going to show up. If you don't want to give, I'm going to give. I'm going to focus on what could happen if we had two people. What could happen if we had five people? What could happen if we had 12? If we had 20? If we had 25? What could happen if we decide, if we decide, if we decide that we're going to fight for it? What would change? I'm just trying to encourage somebody today because that's what we're going through as a church. We are deciding to fight for it. We are deciding that it's not going to come by us just showing up every week. In fact, we say this all the time, that church does not start when we get here. It starts when we leave. And we won't grow as a church until you grow as a person. We won't grow as a revival in church unless you experience personal revival. And we've decided that as long as you're here, we are going to pour into you. We are going to bless you. But we're not going to stop with you. What if we went out and fought for our community? What if we did something that would make sense for them? What if we changed the way we did this and changed the way we did that because it made sense for them and not for us? And that's what we decided to do, that we're going to fight for it. So, so let me ask you personally, what happened if you fight? What would happen if you fought? What would happen if you fought for it? What would happen if you were in that relationship and said, you know what? I'm not going to just assume and be fearful. I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to make sure this is right. I'm going to pray with my kids. I don't know how to do it yet, but I'm going to figure it out. What happens if you fight for it? Like you probably did okay in that class, but what if you actually fought for the grade. I know the things that are against you. Hey, this is my ethnicity. I'm, I'm, I'm this. I'm that. This is my gender. This, this, this doesn't help in this context. I'm a minority here. I, I can't. What if, what if you said, no, that doesn't matter. I'm just going to make a decision and it will be what God told me it's going to be. Let me just show you a few things and why you got, let me just, let me give you a help. It's just three little things. Let me take you back to the text back here in, in verse 14. Look at verse 14. So you guys know the context now. They're threatened, they're worried, they're concerned. And he understands, their leader, Nehemiah says, look, we've got to fight for this. Look at verse 14. He says, I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them. Now let's stop right there. What does he do first? He looks over the situation. He assesses it, right? He finds out who are the people that have influence. Who can I help make it happen? Those are the nobles. Those are the people that are either going to fight him or fight for him. He assembles them. He looks over the situation. He takes a step back. He says, let me see 
what can happen. I'm going to look at it from a different angle and make a different decision. Here's what he says to them. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. That's what he says. Fight for your what? Your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Here's the first thing. It's how you know how you fight for it. You got to stand for your people. You got to stand for your people. Can I just tell you, and I say this all the time, so if I'm repeating myself, good, that your salvation is not about you. Can I say that again? Your walk with Jesus is not just about you. There are people who are depending on you and your walk with Jesus. There are people, whether you realize it or not, who are in the shadow of your influence who need you to be in God. There are the generations before you that had this dysfunction, alcoholism, promiscuity, all these issues that if you went back in your family tree that would follow you three or four generations back. There are three or four generations back who are waiting for you to break the cycle. Okay, I'm trying to touch home a little bit here. Your victory is not just about you. Some of you are fighting for your parents. Some of you are fighting for children that you haven't had yet. And what God is trying to build in you is for them. The legacy God is trying to bring out of you in God is for the people around you. You might be the only one in your family that believes in God. And God needs you to be strong because your salvation is for other people. When you pray for them, they need those prayers. When you're standing for them, that's, that's how you get up. That's how you fight. Because it's easy to say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I don't feel like doing it. But when you think about who's in my life that needs me to go to work today, who's in my life that needs me to come to church and to give God praise and to give and to show up and serve, there's somebody here that needs me. And when you stand for your people, you're not just standing for yourself. There are some people that will find God and they will never find God through my sermon. They will never meet me personally, but they will meet you. And they will say, you know what? Ever since you've been going to this place or ever since you've been putting this in your life, it's been making a difference. And I appreciate it. There's some people at your job, at your school that are just watching you. They're just watching how you navigate. You have no idea. And they are looking at you and saying, there's something about that person and I want what they got. Stand for your people. Who are your people? Who are your people? Who sent you here today? Not just you, right? But, but who is waiting for the blessing from you? Because you came. Because you gave your life to God. Because you signed up. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 19. Not only got to stand for your people... You got to stand by yourself. So when he begins to outlay the plan, as he begins to tell them, he, as we read, he tells them, look, everybody needs a sword. So as he assesses the situation, he says, look, only way we're going to be successful is if we're fighting and working at the same time. So verse 19 says, then 
I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Now I want you to visualize this. Some biblical scholars would explain that in some places there would be one person to almost every mile. Okay? Or, or at least half a mile or, or six blocks away. So as I'm working by myself, there is someone in my, right, uh, peripheral that's maybe a long ways away. Too long for me to shout for help. So I had to work, be ready to fight, and listen to the trumpet. Because the trumpeter would blow if there's any problems. He had strategically placed trumpeters who were watching their backs and sounding the alarm when they heard it to know where to go fight. Because if they heard the alarm that direction, they had to leave all their stuff, run with their weapons, and go fight for other people. So it was very strategic. While they had some people just focused on fighting, the people who were working had to work and carry a sword. Okay, some of y'all not getting what I'm trying to say. Okay, so, so what they had to do is they had to learn how to stand by themselves. Just in case, can I put some modern vernacular on this? A fool wants to run up on me. Y'all got that? Just in case somebody wants to run up on me, I'm not afraid. Because I got a weapon on. So when the enemy comes to me, I don't have to call the pastor. Right? I don't got to call elder so-and-so because I got my weapon. Now, I may not be good with it, but as long as I don't cut myself, I'm good, right? <laughs> as long as I'm not falling on my own sword, I'm good. Can I just tell you that, that you don't have to be a master with the weapon to use it? You might just know God is love. That's all I got. But I'm going to use it. Now lay me down to sleep. That's all I got. But I'm going to use it. Don't underestimate your weapon. Don't underestimate the power you have in God. I don't care how long you've been in the church. If you've been in church 10 minutes, you got power. As long as you say, God, you're with me. God, I accept your leadership. God, I need you in my life. Then I'm going to stand by myself. Because some people get in the mistake of not only standing by themselves in their own strength, but standing for themselves. Some people will leave a church because people don't like their opinion. Not this church. Maybe. They didn't accept me. They, they didn't agree with me. And some people will stand for themselves, by themselves, in their own strength, saying, God, I got this. I can convert this person on my own. And God's like, good luck with that. I'll holler at you later. I'm going to take this person whose heart and soul for me 
don't understand what they're doing. All they know is that they believe I'm real and I'm going to fill them with my power. I'm going to give them the strength they need. They've only got one verse and that's it. And I'll use it and I will help them stand for themselves. They had to stand by themselves. There's some gaps in the wall. There's some gaps like Sabbath to the next Sabbath. Like that's a big gap for some people. Like we're good. And as soon as we leave here, I don't know what happened. I lost it all. But God said, you got to stand by yourself. I think if you worked with me and you put your sword on your hip and you kept working, you could stand by yourself. Here's the last one. So I already actually gave it to you. Verse 20 says, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. I love this here. Then our God will fight for us. Okay. He says, keep your sword on you. Keep painting. Keep building. Right? So you're going to have to figure out how to do it. One hand, whatever your good hand is. Keep your hand on your gun, your strap. Keep painting. Right? Just keep working. Keep building. If you hear the trumpet, I want you to rush wherever it's sounding. And the Bible says, then our God will fight for us. Okay, can I break this down a little bit? Here's the promise. When you hear the alarm, church, and you leave and assemble to where the trouble is, when everybody shows up, then I'll fight for you. Okay, let me break this down again. This is this is so good. So when the trumpet is heard because someone's looking out for the trouble and they say there's trouble over here when the people of God respond to the trumpet and the trouble and show up ready to fight God says I'm going to give them the battle can I, can I just tell you there are some trumpets being sounded in this community there's some trouble over here. There's someone who doesn't know God over here. There's someone who's crying because they're being abused over here. There's someone over here with so much money, but they're just empty inside over here. And there's trumpets being sounded. But the good news is when the people of God get off their behinds and take their weapons with them and respond to the trouble, God says, I'll give you the victory. All you got to do is show up together. All you got to do is respond to the trouble, and I will give you the victory. What I'm trying to say is what we're doing as a church is we are responding to the trouble. We are responding to the gaps in the wall. And if you're going to stand for your people and you're going to stand for yourself, you got to learn, here's the last one, to stand in the gap. Got to stand in the gap. There are some gaps in this community. There are some gaps in this nation. There are some gaps in this world that people are saying we're vulnerable, we're exposed, and we don't know what to do. Where is God and where's the church? They're too busy telling us to come over here and help us. 
When we need help, I'm all for asking for help, but I'm all for responding to those who need help. And somebody needs a church to say, come help me in the gap. I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable. The enemy has come against me. Where is my help? And as long as I'm the pastor of this church, and as long as the vision is clear in the leaders of this church, we will respond to the sound of the trumpet. We will respond to the sound of God that says, church, I need you over here, and I need you in this school, and I need you on this block, and I need you in this community forum, and I need you on this side of town, because the church of the living God in this community has decided to fight for it. So this message is for those who want to overcome. That's what this series is about. This is why we're doing it. This is why we're doing this. Some of you, I've said this many times, you're not going to like what we do. And you know what? That's okay. It's not going to be for you. That's fine. Look, God bless you. There are people who will not like what we do, and that's okay. It's all right. You may feel like, hey, I've been here all my life. I don't feel comfortable leaving. That's fine. You can go and you find where God is leading you. It's, it's, it's okay. Trust me. It is okay. We don't want you to leave. We don't want you not to come. But hey, it's okay. Because we have made up the decision. We have decided and answered that question that this is not for us. This is for our people. This is for the gaps that are open, that people don't know God. They don't know what to do. Some of the differences between you and people like that is that you know how to get to God. That's the only difference. When you're in trouble, you know what to do. When stuff is messed up, you know how to pray. There's a lot of people who don't know that. They don't know God is for them. They don't have the tools. They don't have anything. And so it's out of compassion and love for them. That we say, I know how to get to God. I'm good. But I'm going to help somebody else who's in the gap. And so next series, next month, we are going to be focusing on prayer. That series is going to be called Level Up. Y'all know what that means, right? And we're going to be talking about the four things you need to be praying about. And we're going to be spending 21 days in prayer. It's going to start August 5th. It's going to go to August 25th, 21 days. Do the math. It's 21 days. But 21 days, and we're going to begin a season of prayer, and we're going to be praying not only for our relaunch, but praying for revival, praying for overcoming, because I've talked about overcoming, but how are we going to overcome? We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to seek his face. We're going to fast for some stuff. We're going to put some stuff aside. We'll go deeper in his word. We're going to spend that next series talking about how we level up, how we take what we know we need to be praying about, how we seek it in God, and how we accomplish it. So as we close this today, I just want to close it with this. And some of you, God has been calling you um, to be a part of what we're doing. You may not live close. You may not have the time. But you're just saying, look, I, I feel God calling me to be a part of this. Let me tell you what you can do. There's a couple of things you can do. First of all, you can pray. You can pray. Everybody can pray. Hey, you don't have to ever come back here again, but you can pray for us. Commit to praying for us. Say, God, pray for them. I, I pray for them. Fill them with strength. Fill them with energy. Second thing you can do is you can serve. We have something called growth track every single week. Uh, 
next month. It's a four-step process for you to know how you can get involved in the church. The first one kind of gives you an understanding of what our values are, who we're about, what we're doing, and then you'll get to finish that process, and you'll be have a chance to be on the team. Another thing you can do is you can give. I, I you know what? I'm gonna get a. I'm gonna get. Is there an app that I can? Is there an Amen app somewhere? Can somebody share that with me? I might need that every once in a while. Just get a big. Hey man, praise God! I'll give. Praise the Lord. You can give. Don't take much. And I'm not talking about just money, right? Not talk, you know I'm not talking about money, right? Okay, I'm not talking about that. That's what you were thinking about. But see, I don't, you, if, if you give this, the money comes with that. So I don't have to ask for money. I just ask for you to give. Give your energy, give your time, give yourself to the mission. Last thing you can do, seems really practical. Well, actually, there's one more. Last thing, two things you can do is... You could actually invite people. And I would say, if you're going to invite somebody, please come when they come. Like, you know, don't invite them and they don't show. Hey, I don't, I don't see you. Invite them. Last thing you do, very practical, very simple. Right? You ready for this? It's easy. Two words. Very deep. I think it's even in the Greek. Okay, here we go. Like and share. Wow, that's deep. That's can I get a can I get a hallelujah over here? No, I'm serious. When we put something up, like it and share it. If you don't like it, send us a message and say I don't like it, but still like it. Tell us how to fix it. Like, because we're all on social media, right? If you're gonna be on there, as long as we are. At least like and share, right? And you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many people have come here because of social media. You'd be surprised the reach. And we need a big reach. We need a huge network because we want to share people with people what we're doing. So those are easy steps. Let's start with this. Why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's begin to ask God, even in our hearts, for the courage to fight for. Whatever you're going through, whatever your problem is, whatever your issue is, whatever you're celebrating, whatever you're going through, I just want you to know that Jesus wants you to fight for it. He says, I'm sending you back somewhere to establish the kingdom of God, to set a boundary and say, hey, no more. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to go forward and do it God's way. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. For some who have said, God, I just need you to help me fight. I want to fight for this marriage. I want to fight for my children. I want to fight for my family. I want to fight for my finances, my degree, whatever I'm pursuing. I want to fight for my my own personal battles, my own struggles. I want to fight for the kingdom of God. God, I want you to win. I want you to be victorious, and I want the victory through you. So I pray today, even now, that you'll fill people with strength. There might be people here today that are making the decision to say, God, I need you for the first time, and I pray that you will bless them. I pray that as they continue to come here or wherever church you lead them to, that they will find themselves among people who will nurture them and teach them your ways. And God, if you are calling them here, I just pray that they will feel the loving arms surround them. And as we announce our small groups and announce the ways they can get involved in group studies, that they would sign up for Growth Track and they would sign up for these opportunities that they can grow in you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for our youth rush 
team that has gone out into this community. It's got a few more weeks to go. We pray that you'll bless them as they knock on doors. And even now, they would be opening and finding people who are looking for us. And may we always respond to the trumpets and the cries for help. And we love you. We thank you because you have given us victory. You've given us power to triumph over the enemy. And we are not defeated, but we are more than overcomers. Thank you, Lord. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you feel like fighting, why don't we just give God a praise where we are. If you feel like fighting for it, if you feel like taking it back, just give God the praise.